Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Over, over this Easter season, we've been doing a series called What a Difference Three Days Makes, where we look at the three days of Good Friday to Easter Sunday. And we've been looking at those three days through the eyes of some eyewitnesses that were there for that very first time. This morning, we're going to be looking at it from the eyes of some of the ladies that were there at that first Easter season. And what we're finding as we look at these different characters, it wasn't just them that had the difference made in their lives, but we too can have a significant difference in our lives as we look at how they responded to those three days, the difference that it made in their lives, and as we learn from them. Jesus had broken a lot of the social norms, and one of the big ones was that he had invited women into his inner circle. And the ladies that we knew were at the crucifixion had been in particular devoted to Jesus and his ministry. Of the women that were there, we know of specifically five ladies. First of all was Slomi, the mother of James and John, the apostles, the mother of the sons of thunder. Johanna was there. She had been healed by Jesus of evil spirits and some diseases. And then there were the three Marys. Mary, Jesus' mother. Mary, the mother of James, the lesser of the apostles, and Joseph, and then Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus, Jesus had cast seven demons. In some of these cases, these ladies had been a part of Jesus' support group since even before his public ministry had begun. And they would go on to be instrumental to the spread of the gospel after Christ had ascended back into heaven. But as these three days began, they were devastated. Literally, overnight, their world had been turned upside down. Till the day before, they had been busy following Jesus, caring for him, and learning to understand his amazingly different perspective on life. The authority of his teaching was commanding. His compassion for people was captivating. And the miracles that he was performing were totally inspiring. They were devoted. And they knew that he he was going to change the world just like he had changed their lives. But then they'd got word that night, 
when all of a sudden news had come to them that Judas had showed up with a whole bunch of soldiers. And they had arrested Jesus and taken him away. It didn't make any sense. But it got worse. Jesus was taken and hauled in front of the religious leaders and then in front of Pilate in some sort of a pseudo-trial. And he had been convicted on some trumped-up charges of blasphemy and sedition. He had been beaten and flogged. And as if that wasn't enough, then the religious leaders whipped the people up into a frenzy and they demanded that Jesus now be crucified. So now, here the ladies were, standing outside of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha, not celebrating Passover like they had thought, but standing, watching, as Jesus hung in front of them. Their hero was nailed to a cross. He was being ridiculed and mocked and even spat upon. The one who had healed them of their pain and torment was brutally hanging in anguish and suffering. Her son, that she had given birth to and nurtured and cared for, now hung beaten, flogged, whipped, and dying. The minds of the women raced. Is someone going to stop this injustice? Surely, this can't be true. What can I do? Anger, confusion, helplessness, and despair were all vying for predominance in their minds. But first, they had to endure the incredible ache of their breaking hearts. God, you're my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your salvation agenda. Take notes on the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. I'm camped on the edge of hell. I'm written off as a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case. Abandoned as already dead. One more body in a stack of corpses. And not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole in oblivion. You've dropped me into a bottomless pit, sunk me in a pitch-black abyss. I'm battered senseless by your rage, relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. You turned my friends against me, made me horrible to them. I'm caught in a maze and I can't find my way out, blinded by tears of pain and frustration. I call to you, God. All day I call. Blind I wring my hands, I plead for help. 
Are the dead a live audience for your miracles? Do ghosts ever join the choirs that praise you? Does your love make any difference in a graveyard? Is your faithful presence noticed in the corridors of hell? Are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark? Your righteous ways noticed in the land of no memory? I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help. I'm at my prayers every morning, on my knees each daybreak. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember I've been hurting, I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding, black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows until I'm nearly dead. You've made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. Psalm 88. Can you relate? Have you ever lost your hope? Have you ever felt like you've been abandoned by God or that he's angry with you because of the difficulty he's allowing in your life? Have you ever lost your trust in God's goodness, his justice, his love? Have you ever lost your faith? John 19:25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene stood with the other women near the cross on Good Friday. She watched Jesus die, and she lost everything. Mary's whole story up until the cross is told in less than a full sentence. Luke 8:2. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Jesus' disciples and the other women who watched him die all lost a friend and a leader when Jesus breathed his last. They all lost the hope of everything they expected him to be and everything they expected him to do. But they all had something to fall back on. James and John had their parents in a family business. Matthew had a lucrative occupation. Peter had a wife. Joanna had a husband. Even Jesus' mother had other sons and daughters. But what did Mary have? Without, Mary, without Jesus, Mary had her demons. And along with her demons, the terror, hopelessness, powerlessness, isolation, pain, fear, and despair that would have accompanied their presence in her life. Mary lost everything. And in her devastating loss, she probably had some of the same questions we do. Why is this happening? Was I a fool to trust Jesus? Who am I anymore? How do I face the future? God, are you who I thought you were? God, why didn't you prevent this? God, do you even care? God, where are you? Mary Magdalene, the one who had received the most from Jesus in her life and lost the most when, she di when he died, was understandably the most frantic and desperate in her search for Jesus when he was gone. John 20 tells us that Mary stayed at Jesus' empty tomb, weeping and grieving deeply. Three times she expresses her distress to others because she didn't know where they had taken Jesus' body. The third time in John 20, 18, she responds to a man she thinks must be a gardener. She says, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. The one on whom all her hope rested had not come through for her in the way she expected. Yet in her grief, despair, and fear, she did the one thing she could. She sought out her savior, 
even though she thought he had abandoned her. Mary had no control over her world falling apart. She had no answers to her questions. She only had one thing. She had a choice. She could either hide or seek. She could hide with her demons, or she could seek her savior. And she sought her God, even when she thought her God was only a corpse. She sought harder than anyone else, with every last ounce of her energy for as long as it took to find him. What will you do when the grief and despair and darkness come for your life? When the God you trusted doesn't do what you expected he would do? When the words of Psalm 88 make more sense to you than anything else in the Bible? We can do what Job's wife suggested and curse God and give up. Is that what you'll do? Abandon the God you can't see, whose plans you don't understand? Or like the grieving Job, the depressed psalmist, and the desperate Mary, will you pull in to God? Not by trying to be good, not by intellectualizing, not by concealing your doubt, but pull in with desperate tears and difficult questions and unfiltered honesty. Pull in to find and know the God you hope is there. Faith isn't always cognitive confidence. Sometimes it's simply stubborn persistence. Will you seek out the only one who can answer your need for a savior, whether you find him in three days or whether it takes your lifetime? Because even when we're not sure Jesus is there, and maybe especially when we're not sure he's there, he's all we've got. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and called out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, 
Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he said these things to her. Again, it's good to be with you uh, on Easter morning. Uh, Many of you may know I used to work in in children's ministry for a number of years, and I kind of feel that Easter morning was somewhat of a revenge morning for parents. You see, all year in kids' ministries, maybe we'll do events and we'll send your kids home all hyped up and sugared up. And so on Easter morning, it's the parents' opportunity to wake your kids up early, have sugar hidden throughout the whole house, not have time for breakfast, feed them another Cadbury egg just to make sure they got something in their system and send them to church. And the kids come in and you're like, good morning, did you guys have an Easter hunt this morning? Their eyes are like this big because they're whole hyped up on sugar. They're like, yeah. And you're thinking, we're not going to get through anything this morning with these kids. But such a fun morning. Uh, It really is family traditions and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just want to say thank you too to uh, everybody that's put the work into this into this service. You know, uh, opening video and the sound and tech that has to go into that, and the hours that go into that behind the scenes uh, are, are truly appreciated, and uh, I think help us to really focus in on why we're here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Doug and Jenna have done an amazing job so far at setting things up for us this morning. Doug really helped us to reflect on the women at the cross and the sorrow and the suffering uh, that they must have experienced. I know as I think of that, I can't help but think of, of Mary, Jesus' mother. Her life, she had already sacrificed to that point so much to, to really to bring Jesus into this world and to raise him up. I am sure she had suffered that, that shame and the mockery her entire life. You know, oh yeah, that's, that's the mother uh, you know, of Jesus and, and she was a, a virgin when he was born. I'm sure she's felt those, those indignant looks as she walked down the streets and, and sort of those people that were holier than thou, you know, looking down on her for, for what they assumed that she had done. And now she was looking and, and her son was hanging on a cross. He was dying in one of the most agonizing ways possible, the worst form of torture that, that humans have been able to come up with to kill somebody. And there's, there's Jesus, her son, hanging on the cross. Was her legacy to be one of shame? I'm sure she stood there with confusion and hurt. And then Janet did a great job of catch, capturing the despair of these ladies, and especially Mary Magdalene, how she must have experienced just that total loss She had staked her entire life on Jesus, and now he was dead. As Jana mentioned, Mary thought that she had lost everything when Jesus died on the cross. Thankfully, the story of these women does not end in sorrow. It does not end in despair. The passage that Tori read for us shows the incredible difference that three days made for these women, and the difference that it can make for us as well. Let's just pray together, and then we'll dig into the word of God. God, I want to thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much for the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the love that motivated the cross. Thank you for the peace that the cross brings. Lord, in those moments of, of loss and despair, I thank you that the cross and the empty tomb bring such great victory and peace. 
Lord, I pray that you just be with us now as we look into your word and we see the hope that it had for these ladies and we see the hope that it has for us as well. I just thank you in your name. Amen. So if you're looking to the New Testament, that, that portion of the scripture that, that really uh, begins with the, the birth of Jesus and goes through really until the birth of the church and, and some of the epistles and then to the revelation. In the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels. And they are basically the stories of Jesus, the time of, that he spent here on earth. And in the Gospels, um, we all see, uh, the, in each of the Gospels, we see a record of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if you were to read these side by side, uh, many people say they're full of contradictions. How can they be true? They're full of contradictions. But what I want you to understand is as you read each one, uh, you'll see that they're written from different perspectives, different viewpoints, different eyewitness accounts. And so each one contains what the author was focusing on. Each one contains what the eyewitness was focusing on. And as you read them and you begin to, to listen to what's being said, you can formulate a whole story and a, and a story that really confirms itself, not contradicts itself. If you're looking to do a little bit more uh, looking into that, uh, there's an article by Answers in Genesis that I thought was really good. It's called Christ's Resurrection, Four Accounts, One Reality. That's Christ's resurrection, four accounts, one reality. And I'd encourage you to take a look at the article because what they do is they, they take the gospels and they take all the accounts and they put them chronologically through there. They also have a map of Jerusalem uh, that, that kind of shows where these different things in the account take place and I found that to be very helpful. We're gonna focus in on John's account and his account focuses on Mary Magdalene. And we'll see John chapter 20 verse one says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Mary, according to all the gospel accounts, was on a mission with a group of ladies. And their mission was to bring spices to put with the body of Jesus to help really cover the smell of the decomposition. For the past couple of years, Mary and the other ladies had been taking care of Jesus and the disciples. And now in one act, last act of service, she's looking to care for his corpse. And what initially appeared to be a horrible turn of events, the ladies arrive and find that the tomb was empty. Mary reacts immediately. The other ladies appear to have stayed there at the tomb for some time, but, but Mary reacts immediately. And she runs to tell Peter and John, and we can see that in John chapter 20, verse two. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid them. I'm not sure who she thought that they were, but I am sure that she thought that whoever had taken his body did not have good intentions for it. And we're not going to treat it with the respect and love that she felt his, his body should be treated with. Peter and John immediately run to the tomb and find that it was indeed empty. We don't see much conversation recorded between Mary and Peter and John. They run to the tomb. They, they stoop in to see what was, what was in there, and there was nothing in there, of course, except for the grave clothes. Um, and they don't seem to, to communicate much with Mary. John chapter 20, verse 11 says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Mary stays around. And just the loss, the, the fullness of the loss just overwhelmed her. As you look at this word weeping uh, or wept, it really means to wail. It was just a full outlet of the loss that she was experiencing. 
She was, she was broken. She was hurting. She was agonizing over this loss. But despite her grief, Mary continues to try to understand what has happened. This is something that I really respect Mary for. As Jana mentioned, she didn't stop trying to find out what had happened to Jesus. She was determined to find his body and treat it with the respect that it deserved. At this point, her search wasn't filled with hope, but it was filled with love. Even though everything seemed hopeless, Mary continued to express her love for Jesus. Even though he seemed to have let her down, she was determined to make sure that she cared for what remained of him. When she looked in the tomb, John tells us that she saw two angels in white. If we look at the verses together, we see that it doesn't even appear that she realized there was angels or really that it mattered to her. Take a look at John chapter 20, verses 12 through 14. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid them. Having said this, she turned around. It's an amazing thing to me. She's so focused on Jesus. She's so focused on finding Jesus. She doesn't even stop to say, hey, where did you guys come from? There was, you know, Peter and John were just in there, and you guys weren't in there. She's so focused on that. There are angels there, and, and she doesn't even matter because all that matters to her is finding Jesus. And so she was there, she encountered the angels, and she just says, look, I'm just, I'm looking for Jesus. Having said this, she turned around in John chapter 20, 14 to 15, and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. This is where things begin to change for Mary. She doesn't realize it quite yet, but soon her sorrow would be placed by joy and her despair replaced with an incredible hope. As she turns around, Jesus is standing near, next to her. But she doesn't recognize him at first. She assumes that he's someone there to take care of the garden. She's just hoping that maybe he can give her a clue to where Jesus is. She again states her desire to find Jesus' body and then something amazing happens. Verse 16, we see this. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. With the word, everything changed for Mary. Don't miss the significance of this personal relationship that she had with Jesus. Jesus speaks her name and immediately she realized who, she speaks, who she's speaking to. Moments ago, she thought Jesus was gone. The moment she heard her name, she realized that Jesus was there with her and her sorrow and despair were gone. The events that caused her sorrow and despair had not changed. She had watched Jesus die in the cruelest way possible. She had spent the last two days in despair over the fact that Jesus was dead. But now she understood that there was much more happening in those things than she had believed or understood could happen. The cross had represented loss and separation, but now Jesus was there with her. What she had assumed to be terrible was actually the means for, her, for what her heart truly desired, an eternal, personal relationship with Jesus. 
She probably heard the words that Jesus had spoken to Martha of Bethany um, just a few weeks earlier uh, when when Jesus had risen Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Three days ago, that promise of Jesus had seemed like an impossibility. But now, it was starting to make sense. The one who had promised the resurrection had himself resurrected. Death had no power over him, and he was able to offer an eternal relationship and eternal life to anyone who believed in him. Mary's response to the risen Jesus was to to reach out and touch him. It was a common form of respect in those days that if you were to show honor to somebody, you would, you would kneel down before them and, and you would grab hold of their ankles. And, and Jesus said to her in John 20, 17, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I think there's a couple of lessons that we can learn here from what, from what Jesus' response, the, the, the commentators focus on a couple different areas of Jesus' response. The first one is, is Jesus was perhaps referring back to what he had said to the disciples on the night before he was betrayed. And he said this in John chapter 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper would not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you. And some commentators would say that what Jesus is saying to Mary is, is don't cling to my physical presence. There's something better for you. As Jesus ascended into heaven, of course, that allowed for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And each and every person who believes in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior has the privilege of having the Holy Spirit come and dwell in them, to change them, to make, take them from death and to life spiritually to lead and to guide and to direct throughout our lives. Not leaving us alone, not leaving us in despair, but leaving us in the full knowledge of our relationship with God. And so as perhaps Jesus is saying in her, don't cling to me, don't hold on to my physical presence, there is something so much greater coming your way. There's a second thing uh, that, that Jesus may have been referring to as well. As he says, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, to your Father, to my God, and to your God. Man, there's so much in this verse, but, but perhaps what Jesus was saying as well, don't cling to me. Your mission has changed. You're no longer looking for someone who has died. You now have the privilege of going and bearing the message of the resurrected Savior. Don't cling to me. Go and tell people about my resurrection. Go to my brothers. Go tell them that I have risen. It's an amazing message, too, in the fact that Jesus said this. He said to her, go tell my brothers. Who, who was he referring to? He was referring at that point to the disciples. The disciples who, who had just three days ago, who had abandoned him. The disciples who Peter flat out rejected him, denied knowing him. If you haven't listened to that message from Doug last week, I would encourage you to. It says Peter rejects Jesus, denies Jesus and then is restored later by Jesus after his resurrection. Fantastic difference in Peter's life. I would encourage you to to listen to that message. But Jesus is saying to to Mary, here's the message. It's the message of restoration. Go tell my brothers. Not go tell the traitors. Not go tell the cowards. No, go tell my brothers. 
that I have risen from the dead. And this depth of relationship is written about by by many of these followers of Jesus. John chapter one says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The resurrection of Jesus allows us who place our faith and trust in Christ, allows anyone who places their faith and trust in Christ to become a child of God to be welcomed into his family, to experience the full benefits of being his children. Paul, who was not originally a follower of Jesus, in fact, persecuted believers of Jesus for a number of of days um, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, but later converted to Christianity, uh, says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Again, the depth of relationship there, the ability to call out to God, Abba, Father. That word Abba is is, is daddy. It's, It's a close, personal relationship. It's a recognition that that he loves and cares for us to to the nth degree, that we can go with him, to him with anything. And he cares for us as, as a loving father would. Peter, the one who had denied Jesus three times, says this in 1 Peter chapter one. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a privilege it is to know Jesus, to have that personal relationship with him, that despite our sin, we can be welcomed into his family, to have the confidence of his spirit in us, guiding us, confirming in us that we are his children while we're here on earth, and then knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have an eternal inheritance in heaven. The second thing that I wanted you to see from John chapter 20, verse 17 is this. He said, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And again, it's just that personal element. My God, my father, your father, my God, your God. There's no separation anymore. What a difference three days makes, sorrow to joy, despair to confident hope, loss to eternal gain. So the takeaways for us today, what can three, these three days, how, how do they make a difference for us? First, there is the takeaway of knowing that we can have a personal relationship with God because of what Christ has done. Sin separates us from God. It's on our account and there's nothing that we can do about it on our own. But thankfully, Jesus made it possible to remove that barrier by taking the punishment for sin when he died in our place. He took that punishment that we deserve. And the proof that his death was sufficient substitute was the fact that he rose again. And that's an offer that's extended to each one of us. The offer of eternal life, the offer of forgiveness of sin, the offer of being welcomed into God's family, that is open to everyone. And that is the offer of Easter. What a difference three makes, three days makes. It's the best deal ever, but it's only effective in your situation if you choose to receive it. 
See, you can know all about it. You can recognize that Jesus is who he claimed to be. You can accept it intellectually, but that's not enough. Simple intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished does not seal the deal in your life. You must step from knowledge to belief. It's going all in and telling God that you recognize that you have sinned and you deserve his punishment. It's also recognizing and admitting that Jesus' sacrifice for you is the only way to receive the promises of forgiveness and eternal life. Basically, it's simply telling him that you gratefully accept the gift that he offers you in Jesus. And the moment that you do that, you receive God's incredible gift. And again, it's not just head knowledge. It's not just acknowledging that Jesus was real. It's not just acknowledging what he accomplished. But it's an acceptance, it's a belief in the heart that he is truly the son of God, that he is truly the savior of the world, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so today, if you've not asked Jesus to be your savior, I would encourage you to do that before you leave your seat today. Just talk to him and just tell him you want to receive that gift and you want to have that gift of eternal life. For those of us that already know him, what's the, what's the takeaway for us? I think there's a couple. First of all, again, it's, it's knowing and recognizing the personal relationship that we have. To think of the privilege of knowing God personally and that he knows you personally. The scripture says that he even knows if a hair falls from his head, so he obviously knows me quite well, all right? But he knows you. He knows us personally, right down to the finest detail. And that's, that's such an honor and a privilege. There's nothing that we can bring to him, no sorrow that we can bring to him that he already knows about and that he cares about. There's no hurt that we will encounter that really he hasn't experienced as he watched his son die on the cross, as he has seen his creation reject him and rebel against him. He's experienced every type of hurt and loss that we can imagine. And as we go to him, we know that no matter what we face, he can endure with us and carry us through. Second thing we need to remember is this. We need to remember what our mission is. You know, Jesus said to Mary, don't, don't cling to me, go and tell. See, that's our job. It's, it's our job to go and tell of the resurrection. It's our job to tell people, hey, I know a savior who is alive. I know a savior who gives us eternal life. And it's our job, wherever we are, whether it's in our sports teams, whether it's in our work environment, whether it's in our recreation environment, wherever we are, is to be speaking of the resurrection so that people understand that they too can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our mission is to be telling people. And then again, thirdly, if you're in the middle of sorrow, you may be looking and you might be saying, God, what is going on here? These women, as they, as they stood at the cross, they were wondering what is going on here? What is happening? This does not make any sense. Three days later, things made a lot more sense. And for you, your three days may look like three years. Your, your, day, your three days may look like three months. But I want to assure you of this, that even in the midst of the hardest times in life, God is working on a scale far bigger than we can see or imagine. God is working on a scale doing things that either will help you know him better to draw you into a more 
personal and intimate relationship with him. He's working in the lives of people around you to do the same. And he's walking with you in that sorrow, wanting to comfort you, wanting to guide you, and asking you to trust him that even though it doesn't make sense, something good is going to come from it. Let's pray together. Father, I just wanna thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you for the difference the three days made. Lord, your death seemed like a loss. Your death seemed as though there was no hope. But then, Lord, your resurrection confirmed that it wasn't a loss, but it was a victory. Lord, it wasn't hopeless, but there's so much hope in you. And so today, I pray that you would just use your word to draw us close to you. Help us to remember the mission, Lord, that we are to tell people of your resurrection. I thank you in your name. Amen.